0: Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by the host of the Clean Libertarian podcast, Drew Cook at LibertyDrew84 on Twitter. Really appreciate Drew joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send my sponsors some referrals and specifically for the theme of today's show, how about you send uh, some referrals to my mother? She's a licensed clinical social worker. She helps with addiction recovery and uh, mental health, you know, like anxiety counseling, things like that. She is located here in Louisville, Kentucky, but can do therapy sessions, you know, over Zoom or FaceTime or the telephone, things like that. So send her a referral. The details about the sponsors for my show are as follows. life insurance and long-term care if you want to support the podcast please send me some referrals 502-386-0978 welcome to the kelly patrick show thank you so much for tuning in in today's episode i am joined by drew cook drew is the clean libertarian drew hosts his own podcast of course the clean libertarian drew thanks so much for for coming on how are you today
1: Man, I'm doing great. I appreciate you inviting me on, Kelly.
0: It's an interesting little niche world—the uh, libertarian podcasting community, right?
1: Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, we uh, we we've all got our our little area that we cling to, but uh, I I think we do a really good job of covering you know economics, uh, you know geopolitics, uh, you know international involvement, drug policy, you know, all the things. Um, we all kind of have our own little area that we operate in and, and we do a good job representing it.
0: Drew, being this is the first time I've got to chat with you. could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? I know you're uh, located in Yukon, but where did you grow up at? Where are you at now? Um, what brought you to pursuing at least a hobby? as a libertarian podcaster such as myself, but, um, who, who are you, Drew Cook?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm like, like you said, Drew Cook, I I've lived all my life in Oklahoma. I grew up in Yukon, Oklahoma. So like I, you know, lived around the Oklahoma city metro area and Yukon is just kind of a suburb of Oklahoma city. And so, um, I don't know, man. It's been a lot of years uh, partying pretty recklessly um, and and had to, you know, seek out recovery uh, treatment programs. I've been in 20 inpatient facilities in oh my, my life.
0: Goodness. Wow. So you're, you're not you're not one of those posers.
1: No, man, on the real genuine article, I tried every way but what was suggested. You know, like, as any good libertarian, you're not going to tell me what to do. So I was, by God, going to figure it out. And, uh, yeah, so um, what led me to making the Clean Libertarian Podcast is I I got interested in politics – right around bernie sanders like whenever he first ran and i was like man this is finally a poll it seemed like a politician who was like calling out other politicians i was like hey this is kind of cool you know um and then he endorsed hillary clinton and i was like what the hell is this dude like this isn't what i signed up for and uh a buddy of mine told me about the libertarian party and, and gary johnson and um i really kind of and I, a campaign didn't bring me into philosophy. It was actually some podcasts and most notably uh, Liberty Weekly of Patrick McFarlane and Keith Knight uh, I would listen to episodes that they were doing. And that was kind of like the very beginning understanding of what libertarianism was. And from there, I started joining some Facebook groups and I saw a couple of interactions where they talked about, OK, and. A libertarian society what happens to people that are addicted to drugs like what's the libertarian solution to that and i would see darwinism be uh a thing that was mentioned on on more than one occasion and that really bummed me out you know i was just like man that can't be the answer we have to this you know and so i set out to show how um the traditional modern day you know recovery programs are actually peak libertarian programs because they aren't government funded they are 100 uh voluntary endeavors and uh, they don't need any type of subsidies or anything like that to prop them up like they pay their own way they've done their own thing they don't need anybody else's existence uh or assistance except themselves and so um that's where the clean libertarian project came from and here we are today.
0: Is that accurate? So, like, NA meetings are not funded or subsidized through the government at all.
1: No, as per their tradition. Uh, so, there's twelve traditions that that bind twelve step fellowships together. They have twelve steps and twelve traditions, and one of those traditions is that they are self supporting through their own contributions. They do not allow any type of outside funding. So, like. For instance, I I started up a couple of uh, 12-step groups out here in my hometown, and um, one of those places tried to give us the room that we would occupy every week for free, and we could not accept that. We had to at least pay them a dollar to keep in line with our tradition. So, yeah, we don't get anything for free. Everything is paid for by, we will pass a basket every meeting and whoever donates, you know, whatever comes in on that basket donation, that's what we pay our bills with.
0: Wow, that really does sound, sound like a voluntarist, um, you know, libertarian type of, of thing. And it makes sense. I can see where if you allow outside influences to start to, you know, just like anything. Yeah. I mean, my, my I always bring my wife up, but she's from Cuba. And if you try to give her something for free, she's like no thanks it makes her nervous Mm -hmm. so i can see where you know um avoiding charity even i know that sounds silly but avoiding free shit i can see where it keeps the the at least the mission of the na programs pure
1: yeah for sure it's uh you know if we take funding from this or that then it's an implied endorsement endorsement at that point and so we want to avoid that at all costs you know um and a lot of people that you know, you'll get a lot of mixed bag of emotions about it or, or feelings uh, regarding the efficacy of such programs. But one thing that you cannot tell them is that they haven't made the most successful worldwide fellowships imaginable. And they've done so 100% on their own. They have not needed a helping hand from anybody except their own members. And I think that speaks volumes to the benefits of voluntary charity and community goodwill. You know, like we, we really do have the power to to build the systems and, and fellowships in our society to to keep us all healthy and happy.
0: Um, between the ages for me of, gosh, 13 or 14 years old, all the way up to, I'd say, 23 or 24 when I found out I'd be a father. I experimented with all sorts of crazy partying. And I always say, you know, I took it right to the edge. I never shot anything. <clears throat> But I, I, I did a lot of crazy shit. I would like go to these festival concert festivals and just, you know, try to have fun and knock on wood. I must not have that gene, or at least I did maybe I, I, I'm convinced if I would have tried to take like opiates for months obviously i would have gotten addicted there's probably no one who's like completely you know immune to at least the, the that you know you start doing heroin or some strong painkillers i think anyone can get addicted but for whatever reason i was uh, uh, did not completely get taken away by any drug so what is your do you mind sharing any details about what type of drugs gave you the most most trouble uh um, you were inpatient 20 times i mean that's a heck of a resume Uh, (laughs) what what, and i'm not being sarcastic it's it's cool as shit that you're alive and all that stuff so i'm not trying to be you know a dickhead um what what is your story with that
1: yes so like Man, okay, I will tell you the first time I ever did a narcotic, it was when I was a kid. Um, so, like, I grew up in the age of the Johnny B. Good medications, you know, like the Ritalins, the Vivants, Adderalls, all that. And that was when I was really first getting, like, pushed. And, man, I just couldn't fit in. I was, um, I don't know, man, like, I, I don't i just i could not fit in with my peers got in trouble constantly and so my parents were looking for like a medication solution to that and i did the regular gauntlet you know the ritalins the adderalls but they put me on one eventually called dexedrine and i remember when they gave me that pill it was like holy shit this is it like this was and still to this day is like the closest, uh, to like actual street level methamphetamine I had, you know, ever done. And I think that exists on the market. Um, but that, um, I remember distinctly having the thought that I can take an external substance to fix an internal problem. Um, and at a young age, you know, and I shit, man, I chased that, you know, for a lot of years. And so that progressed you know i left mom and dad's house real real young and just kind of hit the streets and just partied ran wild for a lot of years eventually discovered that you know when you uh put these substances in a syringe instead of in a pipe that it hits a million times faster and harder and it was just like it was a wrap you know and um The problem was, is that it was fun until it wasn't. And there was no like one focal point where like everything went to shit. It was just a gradual type of thing. um, We're just like stuff was happening. Um, I was getting in trouble. I was not able to like hold down a job or a place to live. I was couch surfing this or that Um, along the way. Like I, I, got this woman pregnant. We ended up having a kid. And I was like, you know, finally I got a reason to stay clean. You know, this is it. Um, and like fast forward, she's two years old and we're living in the fucking shooting gallery, man. And this little two year old angel comes walking up with one of my syringes in her hand and like, dude, it fucked me up, man. It was a bad, bad time in my life. Um,
0: Does that mean you're doing, does that mean you were doing heroin?
1: Uh, yeah, methamphetamine and heroin was my cocktail because, like, wow, when I was on meth, I was like spun out and acting real sketchy, but the heroin would kind of bring me down a little bit. It was, it was insanity, you know, Um, pure insanity. But that's just, you know, that's the life, right? And um, so, like, my, I'm, my mom got temporary custody of my daughter, you know, at the time, and like, dude, here's the thing, man, I, I. I didn't have any fight left in me to prevent that from happening because I knew I wasn't a good parent at the time. You know, I was like, yeah, she's she's in better hands, you know, going with you than she is staying here with me. Um, But like, I don't know, man, that was one of the that was, I think, the turning point out of like me having any kind of delusion that I could eventually pull off successfully using drugs. Like, I would always say I wanted to use uh, meth like a distinguished gentleman. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't think that was going
0: to happen. But uh, I... Um, when you were saying that, it was while you were using and you were being a little tongue-in-cheek sarcastic, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you knew yeah, it, sound, no. it sounded... It sound, it sounded <laughs> didn't sound good. Like, hey, I'm going to do meth, but I'm going to do it like a distinguished gentleman. Like a gentleman. Gen- <laughs> like a gentleman. <laughs> yeah. Your buddies would laugh or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, like, okay. no, it was... But I mean, it's, it's weird, man. Like there would be, um, there would be some like doubts in my mind that I, I, that thing between my ears that was screaming at me that like, you're never going to be able to function as a, a human being without some sort of substance. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that like, I was physically ill, like granted the heroin opiates do have like a physical, um, illness that, you know, you incur whenever you're detoxing, but The reality of the situation is, man, I didn't have any fucking coping mechanisms. I didn't know how to deal with the world around me. Like raw, unfiltered reality scared the shit out of me, you know? Um, And so like for me to take that first deep dive into really trying to find some help, man, it took a lot. And a big part of that was, you know, losing custody of my daughter, seeing friends overdose and die in front of me, uh, you know, being like getting people kicking in your door, drive-by shootings. I mean, just, just insane living, you know? Um, and eventually like I, I started getting into these treatment centers and detox facilities. And man, I would always, I'd always like go in and I would be okay for a second. And then, um, when I got out, man, I was like, Oh, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I could try doing this again. Um, and the, the big change for me didn't occur until the last time I went to jail. Um, I I was in jail for a, a warrant that I got uh, or uh, yeah, an arraignment warrant. And I went in and I remember calling my mom and I was like, hey, you need to put money in my books. Why am I still in jail? All this. Right. Now, mind you, you know, mom's the one who, who got custody of my daughter. And she said, hey, let me. They put you on hold for a second on that. She said, you haven't even asked me how your kid's doing. And uh, I was like, wow, you're right. Uh, So how is she doing? She said, well, she called you today. And I don't know if you've ever been in jail, Kelly, but like you don't really get incoming phone calls. Yeah, I've
0: only been in a holding cell three times, but it's been many years. Maximum, the longest stay was 43 hours. But yeah, I was not receiving incoming calls.
1: Right. So I was like, well. You know, I, that's not possible. We don't get phone calls in here. She said, no, I bought her a toy cell phone and she called you today and has been talking to you all day long. And like, you know, in Oklahoma County jail, it's notorious for fitting four and five men into a two man cell because it's just so incredibly overcrowded all the time. And uh, like, so there I am trying to act tough in front of a full cell full of men. And I have lost it, man. Um that one hurt, you know, and that that kind of woke me up to I need to really make some different changes when I get out of here. And, uh, you know, I did, man. And that's kind of like that really, truly is the very beginning steps of my recovery right there.
0: How old are you? I am 38 now. OK, I'm 39. So I'm right there with you. Um, right and how long have you been clean?
1: I've been clean for two years now. Wow. A little over two. I'm coming up on three years in January. So I initially got clean in 2012, stayed clean for seven and a half years, and I got married and decided when we went to Cozumel that man, I can have a drink, <laughs> you know, like I'm not I'm not an alcoholic here, like it'll be okay. And no, nah, it wasn't okay. So seven I, I seven years clean? Uh-huh. Seven years clean and then went back out. So now I got two years clean.
0: But when you wow. So when you yeah. when you had a drink in Mexico.
1: Oh yeah, I went off the rails, dude. Like I I was just, you know, sticking to alcohol. And when we got back stateside, you know, I was like, just going to the liquor store every day. And then it was like, okay, let's go to the casino. Let me find some of this shit that I like to do. And yeah, it was a wrap. Like, I don't, might, I have this weird thing in my head that, like, if, if there is something that makes, that certain little pleasure button go off like for the dopamine and serotonin to do their thing in my mind. Like I'm going to wear that button out, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, man. But, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of woke up the beast there a little bit, but we're okay now.
0: How long was the longest you were in jail?
1: Uh, four and a half months. So not, not crazy by any stretch. Like I, I lucked out, man, that I didn't go to prison. Like there is, I don't know. I probably my skin tone, if we're going to be honest, is probably a good reason why I didn't go to fucking prison because I should have like this was my uh, charges were um, attempting to obtain CDS by forgery, which is prescription fraud. It means that like I forged a prescription, went into a pharmacy and got caught. Well, the thing is, I got caught doing this twice and twice in front of the same judge a year apart. So like, dude, I I don't know. It was just a straight up miracle I didn't go to prison. But I did four and a half months in counting, but they let me out on pretty light probation and I I've flown around ever since, you know.
0: Is what? did you have a good attorney? How did you get out of that? Public defender, bro. Wow. I don't I'm
1: telling you right now, like I don't understand it. Like I I was calf roped on that second charge. The first charge I got a deferred sentence, you know. So like as long as I would have stayed you know, clear, I'd have been good. But the second one, they were, they were wanting me to go to prison bad and um, come to find out the public defender that I had was a good friend of the district attorney who was sitting in to, you know, go after me in this particular sentence or on this case. And um, they actually worked out a deal to amend my charge to something else to let me out on uh, a lighter, lighter sentence than, than prison. I don't know why I I cannot tell you why none of them knew me. I mean, it wasn't like I had any kind of connections. I was just, I was an idiot running wild man for years, but um,
0: I'm really glad that they
1: didn't make me go to prison. You know,
0: any of those people who kind of helped you out for whatever reason, do any of them have any idea how you're doing now? I'm sure they'd be happy to hear that. I would love to let them
1: know, but I I never saw hide nor tail of them ever again. You know, I just figure, uh, me not being back in their courtroom is probably a good enough indicator that I'm doing the right thing. You know, um, I'm hoping so at least, but if I ever run across them, I'll absolutely tell them all about it.
0: Is this difficult for you to talk about?
1: No, not at all. Not at all, man. This is uh this is my life. I, I, I talk about this stuff, uh, regularly, you know, um, especially when it comes to the nuance of, you know, what makes a drug addict, a drug addict, you know, like there's there's, in my mind, a distinct difference in between somebody who is a weekend warrior or, you know, they just go through their youth uh, kind of partying a little hard. And then, you know, somebody like me, you like. So, for instance, on that last charge, when I first went to jail on it, they let me out on a conditional bond is what they called it or a recognizance bond. And that means, hey, we know our jails overcrowded. We're going to let you out. You need to come in and take a drug test at our office a couple of times a week. We just want to keep tabs on you until you're sentenced. And so the rule was, is I could fail five drug tests, right? Like that's all I was given. And I failed five in a row. My entire freedom was on the line. All I had to do was just stay clean and not use. And I couldn't fucking do it, man that to me is like in a nutshell of what drug addiction is, you know, like that, that is substance use disorder right there. And um, I didn't have any solutions to that. You know, I'm really thankful for the people that I ended up running across, you know, in those recovery programs, like we were talking about a second ago, who took the time to show me how to not be such a, a dumbass. <laughs> you know?
0: Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, man. Um, you said you came to libertarianism in it. Kind of started with you getting into political, you know, getting into politics more so through you being intrigued by what you heard from Bernie Sanders. Would you say you mm-hmm. are a left-leaning libertarian? Without
1: a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, not like children going to drag shows type of left. You know, <laughs> isn't um,
0: it fucking crazy that you got to clear up. You, yeah, there's. there's you got to clarify that just so everybody knows that doesn't mean I'm into the weird <laughs> kid shit. You got to say that. Got to, got to put that out there. Elephant um, in the room.
1: Big time, man. Now um, I just I don't know. I I'm very open-minded, man, on on a lot of things. Um, I, I I am still a big fan of uh, charity. Um, very big fan of ch- charity and community acts of service and goodwill in the community. Um, but one of the things that kind of showed me, I'm, I'm grateful to have started paying into, started paying attention to Bernie when I did. And I'm grateful that he like stabbed me and all of the rest of his supporters in the back, the way he did, because it, it opened my eyes to the fact that like forced government charity and goodwill is never going to be held, led by people with principle, you know, ever. Um and that's the that's the crux of the issue. When you get down to it, it's it's not that it's not that none of us want to see, you know, uh, poverty and homelessness eradicated. It's just that we don't trust the people claiming that they will it'll be different this time once they steal our money to do something good it'll be different this time no we're not going to actually buy more drones no we're not going to start another foreign war no we're not going to increase the size of your local police force no we're actually going to do something good um no we know that that's a damn lie we know that they are money addicts and they are hungry for power and money you know prosperity for them and they want the very worst for all of us. And they want to keep us subservient and in line. So a lot of life lessons learned. Like I said, man, like it, it that, uh, that 2016 campaign really shattered the illusion that I
0: had that the Democrats are anything, but pieces of shit,
1: <laughs> you know,
0: um, I, for whatever reason, recently, I've been very intrigued with listening to the, the Jimmy door, um, show podcast. I probably don't agree with him on a lot of, you know, certain things. But, of course, he's as good as anyone about calling out the corruption within the Democratic Party. And you kind of touched on it right there. The people who say that they want to help the poor are not always the ones who actually give a fuck about the poor. Oftentimes, it's in reality the the, the exact opposite. And Jimmy Dore references often specifically that Bernie Sanders, many years ago, Jimmy Dore was, I think, at a campaign event for Bernie Sanders, and he was speaking with Bernie, and he heard Bernie say that he needed to do certain things, even if he didn't really want to, because he doesn't want to be another Ralph Nader. And, and, And what that means, I guess, is... In effect, that, you know, like if Bernie and the the squad, like I think if they wanted to, they could force a vote on Medicare for all right now, but they don't. For example, I'm not a fan of Medicare for all. I'm not. Um, But like, if that's what they're so passionate about, like what the fuck? Why are they not doing that? They're not doing that. So he, and he votes for war all the time. So, I mean, it could never be, if you claim to be even a progressive and you like Bernie Sanders, I've got some questions for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's an interesting sure. uh uh thing, but I think Jimmy Dore articulates that well. Are you a fan of Jimmy Doors? And is there anyone else who kind of touches on those types of topics that you, you enjoy?
1: Yeah, I uh I've always liked Jimmy Door. I, I feel like as far as like um you know left left leaning think tanks goes, he's the one that has been the most open to like platforming other you know, viewpoints that he may not hundred percent agree with. I like that a lot. And, you know, credit where it's due, I, you know, Dave Smith has had on Ben Burgess. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to listen to those episodes or not, but I
0: don't think so. sounds like I should check them out.
1: Yeah. Ben Burgess is also a really good, uh, you know, uh, individual who has, I, I think, you know, he makes some decent points for his cause. Now, granted, he's a lot more socialist than Jimmy Dore, uh, will ever be but you know um I don't know man I, I I really do appreciate the people who are on the left who can absolutely you know entertain a thought and while they don't hold it they can see the value in it and that, that, that's I don't know I think that that's what's needed both on the left and the right for us to find any type of pathway through our current you know situations that we find ourselves in politically. Um, there's just too much of, oh, if you even slightly believe X, you can't be on team Y. Um, and nothing ever gets done because it's, you know, I know libertarians, we we tell ourselves that we have the most insane type of purity test. But, man, if you look at both the Republican and Democrat parties, like they're doing the same shit, you know, like where you stand on abortion and trans, Uh, rights, you know, determines whether or not you have a seat at the table if you're a Democrat, and the same can be said for, you know, immigration and, uh, you know, supporting police and the Republican Party. So, um, there's purity tests everywhere you look, and and I think that they're, I don't know, man, more and more, I'm thinking that politics is a fucking sham. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that spot where I'm just like, man, I know that My local LP affiliate is great. The OKLP continues to produce good candidates Um, and what they can't get done. I can get done with my community efforts, you know, that I do. You know what I mean?
0: Do you plan on ever running for office? Oh, no, (laughs) no,
1: no. That's for me. It's a it's too. that. That's not. I'm not able to articulate myself on a debate stage. I don't think I wouldn't do well with that. There's a lot of theatrics that go into running a campaign and I'm just, that ain't me, man. Okay. I'm much, I'm much more suited doing like, you know, like the harm reduction stuff, helping out people in my community, doing my best to talk about recovery, um, giving a helping hand where I can. Uh, That's my purpose. You know,
0: what's harm reduction. So harm
1: reduction is the principle and philosophy that, um, you can, while you cannot force people to quit using a particular substance or doing something that is harmful to their health, you can absolutely help to eliminate some of the harm that is incurred in those activities. So for my harm reduction organization called Out of Harm's Way OKC, we deliver harm reduction kits that contain Narcan, fentanyl test strips, clean syringes, alcohol wipes, tourniquets, cotton pellets, And then uh, we deliver that throughout the city. We also do a needle exchange where we'll take back used syringes so they're not lining our streets, not winding up in trash cans out in the public or somewhere else where somebody can get hurt. And we're also providing education and referrals and linkages to treatment. So whenever one of our participants says, hey, Drew, I would really like to stop doing this shit. I want to get clean. I have several different resources I can get them hooked up with and we can get them in a treatment within a week or two. Who pays for all those materials? Me, me and some friends. Like we, right now, we, we just, we're a hundred percent community funded. Um, We just kind of pass the basket and keep it going. Um, Every time I think we're going to run out of supplies and there's been several of those moments, I'm like, what the hell are we going to do? All of a sudden the universe comes through and we get another check handed to us or a hundred bucks here or there. Like it's, it's been pretty cool. Uh, We've been open since July, and we have had over 110 overdose reversals reported back to us as a result of our kids.
0: Okay, overdose reversals, but what about beyond that? Someone's like, hey, you're a recovering addict, and you just fucking helped save my life? Maybe Mm -hmm. I should be a recovering addict instead of an addict. Have you had anything like that?
1: Yep, we've got five. Uh, One of them is actually uh, leading their sober house that they live in, and has agreed to like do a video with us at some point. So we're going to be able to start highlighting stories like that in the coming months. We're still just trying our best to reach the need of the entire city. It's tough, man. Um, It's like when we first opened up, everybody thought that I was a cop. (laughs) You know, they're like, why would you want to give me this stuff for free? Like you can't be real. And then, you know, once they started to find out, okay, this guy's real, like this is legit. Then they're telling their friends and then their friends and it's exponential growth. So we're still in this weird spot where like we have a lot of things we want to get done, but it's like every ounce of manpower just keeping this thing floating right now.
0: I assume you also have a 40 hour a week job. Yes. Yes, I do care to mention what you do.
1: Yeah. So I am an employment navigator for a nonprofit uh, in Oklahoma city. And um, what this nonprofit does is we work with uh, individuals who are justice involved. So like we have a pre-trial release program where we bond people out of the local County jail and get them hooked up with linkage to treatment and supports for like a sober house, food, clothing closet. Um, We also run the same, Um, probation that I was on on that second charge. Remember me telling you about that way back when? Well, now, instead of the state running it, now it's this nonprofit that runs it. So I get to be somebody who helps people find work. Um, I'm an advocate for them on the job site. I can also help them kind of navigate some of the initial hurdles when it comes to, like, finding employment, understanding how to work with, like, a 401k what you need to be doing with all that. Like I needed to have that stuff spoon fed to me. So I get to be the person that I wish was around for me back then.
0: Wow. Right. I know I'm asking you all sorts of super personal questions. Has your relationship with your daughter?
1: It's wonderful. She's actually in the next room over, man. I got her back. Um, she, we, she was thankfully young enough whenever I like really got way out there um that she doesn't remember a whole lot of it now granted i did go back out a couple of years ago but i wasn't gone too long um we've been able to really build a relationship uh dad's around she know dad's going to be around she's got her own bedroom we got a house like everything's really really good in our world man
0: wow that's great yeah um you said you're a left-leaning libertarian would you ever okay do you vote i do okay um would you ever consider supporting like a green party candidate
1: it would be it would be i'm i would support so if i was a single issue voter it's always going to be drug policy like that's the number one issue that i look at drug policy followed by criminal justice reform so whoever's going to be good on those two topics is who's going to get my vote you know branching from there we'll go into the other libertarian philosophies and 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 all of that and if need be, I just won't simply vote in a race. Now, granted, I will tell you, I have never seen a Green Party candidate on an Oklahoma ballot. Um, we have, we this last election, we did really well to get a lot of libertarians on that ballot. And so that's who I ended up voting for, you know.
0: Okay. My mother is actually a licensed clinical social worker.
1: Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: And she's the, uh, a sponsor of the podcast. We share an office, actually. And she specializes in treating people for addiction recovery and like mental health counseling. So I've kind of always been intrigued by this stuff. I grew up listening to Loveline.
1: Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that shit was cool. And, I, you know, Adam Carolla is funny and I still love Adam Carolla. And Drew, you know, was like an actual doctor who actually wanted to help people. Yeah. And so I would hear, you know, certain things, not always about substance abuse, but of course that was, you know, uh, uh, obviously is a big part for Dr. Drew. He's like a, I forget, licensed, um, addiction recovery specialist or something like that, some type of doctor. Yeah. Um, but, but very interesting. My mom, I'll have to have my mom listen to this episode. It's very, a very fascinating conversation. What did you think of, um, Joe Jorgensen because I interviewed Joe Jorgensen and my mom had me the one question my mom I got my mom to vote for Joe Jorgensen she's like a lifetime yeah democrat she's a democrat and um she voted for Joe Jorgensen so um when it comes to drug policy which is of course the issue that's most important to you what would you say to my mom about how she you know when it comes to drug policy who's the best who are the best candidates to vote for um, in your opinion? I know that's a, a, a deep uh, multi-layered question, but uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I just, from from what I can see, uh, well, first of all, Joe, Joe was okay. You know, she was the best candidate, I feel like, that was on that ballot. She just lacked the charisma and enthusiasm. And I didn't really like how they did Spike Cohen out the gate in that campaign, but, you know, that's a kind of insider baseball and we don't have to go into that. But, I would tell your mom specifically that when it comes to drug policy, Republicans have the solution of incarceration. Uh, Democrats have the solution of overregulation. Libertarians are the only ones that say, let the market dictate what's right for them and what's wrong for them. That's it, man. Something kind of wild. So I don't know if you saw, like, in 2020 whenever Oregon voted to decriminalize uh, simple possession of any substance, like it is now not against the uh, particularly like you, you won't go to jail for getting caught with the substance. However, harm reduction organizations out there are not allowed to distribute fentanyl testing strips because they're considered um, paraphernalia. So here you have like supposedly a progressive liberal Haven, for drug policy, yet they're still criminalizing harm reduction efforts in some to some degree. And it's it's just it's very strange, you know? So that's what that's why I think that um just another example on why libertarians, I feel like, have their finger a little closer to the pulse than most of these other people do.
0: I have heard her say things consistent with with that, how there are just silly laws in place, you know. And yeah, so so your solution is to allow people who want to help. I've heard Spike articulate this type stuff really well, too. I forget the homeless. There's some government agencies that will say, oh, you're out to feed the homeless. You're not allowed to feed the homeless today. And we're going to take the food that you brought here to feed the homeless people. We're from the government and we're going to pour it out and like pour some type of poison in it. So you can't use it. That'll show you. And that's the government's solution is to prevent people from feeding the homeless. And I know there's many examples of that.
1: For sure. And like, you know, when all you have is a hammer, every solution is a nail and here's what gets through, uh, through substance abuse disorder. It's not criminalizing people and treating them as less than it's actually treating them like humans and setting them up for success in the best way possible. Um, Currently, we find ourselves in the shadow of one of the biggest, wildest black market problems that we've ever seen in this country as far as narcotics go. And we see fentanyl on the rise and a lot of people are are dying. But nobody wants to address the fact that this shit wouldn't be happening if drugs were legal. If you could purchase substances from a legitimate retailer, you wouldn't have to worry about whether or not you're. Substance has been laced or spiked. I mean, when's the last time you bought a bottle of aspirin and had to like wonder what the hell was going to be in those tablets? You know, you don't. You don't have to worry about that. I got benadryl, I'm going to take tonight before bed. I do not have any worry in the world whatsoever that I'm going to die of an overdose from fentanyl by taking that benadryl. You know? Um, it's time that we we reevaluate our approach here. It's time we we reevaluate the way that we look at at humans' relationship with narcotics. Um, but yeah, so libertarians all the way, always.
0: And the solution for that in your eyes is less government. Yeah.
1: hundred percent less government. Let, let people sell what they're going to sell. The only reason that, so prohibition gives cover to bad actors. You know, if you go to a liquor store tonight, okay, you bought a, I don't know, a bottle of Jim Beam and that Jim Beam ended up having like some crazy substance in it that poisoned you guess what you have a a a way to take that liquor store owner to court or god forbid if you were to pass away your family could take that liquor store owner to court and you can have you know at least some sort of compensation for the fact that you incurred damages Well, you have dealers on the street now that have perfect cover because they're not registered and they wear there's no way to track them down they can give you a fake name you don't know who's who what's what nothing and so like you know yeah man you've you've confined this marketplace into the back alleys and so what uh ends up needing to happen can't happen
0: you know so in your eyes everything should be legal
1: i do think so now here's here's where it gets a little tricky is that people think whenever you say something like oh uh all drugs should be legal you know, that it should be all drugs should be acceptable. And that's not the case, man. Just because I think,
0: it's not that they're acceptable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just because uh, drugs aren't uh, just because I want the drugs to be legal doesn't mean I want them to be acceptable. Right. Not everybody needs to go out and do black tar heroin. Not everybody needs to go out and do cocaine. Not everybody needs to go out and do this or that. Right. So that's it's kind of like this thing, you should be allowed to do something doesn't necessarily mean I need to co-sign you doing that thing.
0: Did you ever buy bad stuff? Oh,
1: 100%. I once bought and what I thought was an eight ball of cocaine and it was actually laundry detergent. And I took a fucking massive rail to the dome of gain laundry detergent. That shit about killed me. Like it was not good. That was a bad time.
0: And you believe if they would be legal, we wouldn't even need like a agent government agency to approve it or anything we would just need accountability and transparency that would maybe that would still happen but it would be far less likely for that to happen
1: yeah 100 i mean it, if it were to happen you would have your day in court like i said i mean what what what's your move now you call the police say hey i bought bad shit well guess what you're going to jail and they're going to open an investigation on that dealer you're never going to see a dime of compensation for getting wronged you know, you just you just screwed yourself over by snitching yourself out like it's it's just there. There. The the fact that two adults are getting together and selling a substance does not have any bearing on anybody else whatsoever. That needs to be allowed. Right. That That's a legitimate business transaction that needs to be allowed to occur without, you know, any type of uh, government interference. Um, government should do what it does best. And that is. You know, if it's going to have force involved, like bring force to the bad actors, because in my opinion, if you're selling somebody a Xanax that you know is actually fentanyl, you're a fucking murderer. You are attempted murdering, you know, on every time you sell one of those pills, you know, and that absolutely is a crime that incurs a victim. But if I'm selling you a fentanyl pill as a fentanyl pill and you know you're buying a fentanyl pill, that is not a crime that incurs a victim. You see what I'm saying? Everything's on the up and up there.
0: Now, obviously the, the people selling black tar heroin, if it's pure black tar heroin, they very well may still be a complete piece of shit for selling black tar heroin, right?
1: Yeah. I mean I don't think I don't think something, you know, just because you're selling something to somebody uh, makes you a, a, a good person, right? Um just like the individuals who sell the bottle of booze to the guy walking in shaking, you know, who's having obvious withdrawals and DTs.
0: Like, mm. you know, it's this thing, man. That reminds but- me, I worked in the restaurant and bar industry for years. Mm-hmm. There would be people at nice restaurant. There'd be people we open at 4 p.m. There's like a crowd of 70 and 80 year olds out there. And if we're not opening the door right at Right at 4 o'clock, they're like, hey, let me in. I got to get my goddamn drink. You know, I mean, they have visible, they need their drink. That's what they're doing. And, I mean, does the owner say, no, this is too much. We're going to turn away your business. So, I mean, you can make a case that in some, I mean, alcoholism is when it, you know, that's very serious. That kills people. Very physiologically uh, damaging Uh, disease also so i mean that's a a, a, i would say there's definitive parallels there
1: i would also say though that not everybody you sold alcohol to turned out to be an alcoholic and i would i would make the same claim that's you know not everybody who's going to end up doing heroin is going to turn out to be a fucking raging drug addict you know really Um,
0: is that is that true 100 percent. okay
1: um i highly um I, I would highly suggest to to both you and your audience members listening to this to check out Dr. Dr. Carl Hart. Um, he has a book called "Drug Use for Grownups," and um, I had him on my podcast a while back. Very interesting guy. He's a professor of neuroscience at the um, at Columbia University, and he actually openly discusses like his own recreational use of heroin. You know, and how through his studies that he's done, he finds that most people who do heroin don't actually have an addiction that just jumps on them the second they do it. Now, granted, like over a long enough timeline if you using opiates, you know, consecutively for days on end. Yeah, you're going to develop a dependence to that. But what he's talking about and what I agree with is the fact that, like, not everybody that does a substance is going to fly off the handle and do something bad. Just like, do you all have? recreational or medical marijuana where you're at
0: uh the governor shitty democratic governor andy Bashir is supposedly pushing for some legals but not right now i don't think but it's very recent that andy okay. Bashir, the kentucky governor um has been supposedly working on uh, um, legalized marijuana but not okay. right not right now I don't think I think it's been decriminalized to a degree like if you get caught I live in Louisville Kentucky the biggest city in the state if you get caught with some marijuana I think you you'll still get like a little ticket but you're you know you're not going to jail um, right. so it's been decriminalized to a degree but my understanding is it's still illegal
1: okay um so like here in Oklahoma we have medical right um back before we had medical all you could find like when you bought marijuana on the market like you're buying a bag of commercial grade swag now that we have medical marijuana you've got tincture oils you've got edibles you've got marijuana pills all various strengths and sizes i mean like anything you can imagine and and of being able to extract THC and put it into a a different type of form it's there for you and i would say that like with some of these other substances should we ever see like a legalized marketplace you would see some of the same type of thing man like we don't know what type of of modern day applications some of these substances would have because we are confining them to the black markets and you can only find them on one form and the, the, the knowledge of what these substances are and what they do are cloudy at best. So, you know, opening it up to the market, I, I think we would see some, some very real changes, you know, and, and real world applications for them, too.
0: You have described yourself as a left-leaning libertarian. You seem to mention Dave Smith earlier, I think, in a positive light. He would, of course, be uh, described by many, at least, as more of a right-leaning libertarian. What are your thoughts on Dave Smith?
1: Um, he's, he's great at talking. He's not my cup of tea. Um, and I'll I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> you know,
0: that's okay. I think it's a good conversation to be had. I mean, yeah. you don't want to elaborate as to why.
1: Uh, I'm just not, look, here's the thing, man, when it comes to like talking negatively about like homeless people and talking negatively about like illegal immigrants and things like that, like we're not going to see out to eye on that. Um, that's where I have a, a, a big problem. I don't like cops first off and foremost, I fucking hate the police with every fiber of my being. Now that's not to say that every police officer deserves fucking hatred from me, but I definitely don't trust them. I don't trust them to be involved in anything unless they're signing one of those piece of papers that's needed after a car accident or somebody has been murdered. That's it. Anything outside of that, I think they have no place in, especially when it comes to rounding up the homeless from, from playgrounds and parks. That would be the stance that Dave had. And I I know like Dave's really good about like jumping around on meanings of words and, and, you know, and and changing up the definition of of what he meant or what he didn't mean. I don't know, man. I just know that I've seen enough come out of them that I'm like, eh, uh, not my cup of tea. Now that being said, if it's the choice in between, Dave Smith, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton on my ballot, I'm voting Dave Smith every single time, you know, like he is definitely the best candidate that's there. Um, But that's just, yeah, that's my compartmentalized (laughs) in a nutshell, you know, kind of take on it.
0: So you certainly would vote for him. Uh, Absolutely, You would maybe air more on the side if you could choose your 2024 presidential candidate, maybe Spike Cohen or Amash.
1: 100% Spike. Spike is like the closest representation to my brand of libertarianism that's out there. Spike Cohen is the best of the Libertarian Party, in my opinion.
0: And how do you think Spike would articulate how we should deal with the homeless? I've heard Dave talk about it, and it is a very interesting topic because certain cities have, you know, horrible homeless. I I had a homeless guy not, you know, in my yard uh, six months ago or about Mm -hmm. a year ago, actually. And it scared the shit out of me. I had two daughters in here and I'm like, you know, what do I do? We had to go out and talk to him, got my neighbor. We kind of scared him off, yelled at him. He got out of there. He was like right up here, like in my driveway. Uh, What is what is your view or how how, even Spikes view on on how to handle the homeless? I mean,
1: I think that there's there's obviously needs to be more community involvement and having solutions for this, calling the cops and a bunch of homeless people and throwing them in jail does nothing to fix the underlying problem. And, you know, it, it, I wish that there was a hand, like one size fits all solution for every single unhoused person that's out there, but there isn't, you know, some people are in their, in their situation because they're battling like severe mental illness. Some of them are battling addiction. Some of them are just fucking lazy and don't want to do anything else you know it's it's a very broad range of things but i just don't see government force as being the thing to use to solve that now that being said homeless dude shows up in your fucking yard and you got a kid yeah dude that's a problem they need to fucking go homeless dude is just on the side of the road and it's unsightly to look at fucking get over yourself you know get over yourself sorry that that person's sleeping outside in the fucking winter trust me they don't want to be there like it's not a good time you know um especially doing like the harm reduction and and, and things that i do I, I visit several of the camps around town and i can tell you that i mean these people aren't living a luxurious lifestyle like it's not anything to, to look at and be like oh they got it made or i don't know man like i i have a lot of empathy i have a lot of empathy towards it and i think that um uh, I wish that there was a one size fits all solution for them all, but there's not. I do think more community involvement, more access to certain types of uh, medical care and mental health care is a good thing. But um,
0: through the government?
1: No, I don't think through the government because government fucks it up every time. the um, The local CC or like the local nonprofit mental health facilities that are around here, the better ones that. The ones that do the better job with their participants are the ones that are that have less government oversight. Um, the ones that are smaller seem to have the the more profound impact on the community. Um, they're not just churning people through as fast as they can get them. They're actually giving a more personalized touch from intake to treatment to release. And um, I think that that's kind of the approach, man. Um, everybody's unique and different granted, you're going to have people who kind of follow certain types of trends, but the things that brought somebody to being homeless and living on the street are going to be different from person to person. And uncovering covering that takes consistency and it takes time and, uh, opportunity. Now I, I did talk to somebody who was from California and I like kind of some of the system they had in place out there. So like they had a, they had a, a multi-tiered, um, Homeless shelter where like when you first intake in, you live in a bunk style housing with a bunch of other people like you have no privacy. You really don't have anywhere to go. Now, if you continuously show up, you don't cause any problems. You're doing your chores or doing whatever is needed around the facility. Then you go up to the next tier, which means that you're rooming with two to three other people, but you have your own bed. It's not a bunk bed. It's a little bit better. Keep doing good. And from there you get your own room by yourself and then from there they get you access to permanent housing so like something like that makes sense you know um i don't even think that that's all the way perfect but it sure beats the hell out of calling the cops on a bunch of homeless people you know
0: so it sounds like um the the main difference you would have with dave smith would be the struck a chord with you when you you heard him uh articulating how he thinks the the best way i don't know if he thinks it's like you know the perfect way or anything but yeah i I have heard him say that the way that specifically the way he has suggested to deal with the homeless population really rubbed you the wrong way
1: big time yeah i think was it unleash the cops was that him or though i can't remember i just i I don't know man i just i'm not a red hat i'm not ever gonna be a red hat so i don't know man
0: what do you think of um so you're a libertarian right What do you think of me calling someone like Rand Paul a libertarian?
1: That's fine. I'm not. I'm not uh, the keeper of who can be called what by any stretch. In your opinion,
0: is do you like Rand Paul?
1: I think he's he's overall pretty good. I think Thomas. Okay, as far as as
0: senators go.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it's not saying much, but you know, um, I was, I, I think that they're they're right on a lot of things. They're also humans. They're going to be fallible. Um, and they're
0: playing the game at the highest of levels. So, I mean,
1: bro, I can't imagine what kind of pressure they have on them to, to just like walk within a certain line. Like, I'm sure it's insane. Um, I mean, we've we've all seen seen how that plays out time and time again. So but yeah, when it comes to like Washington, D.C. politicians, I would say that, you know, Thomas Massey and Rand Paul are, are as close to a libertarian as you're ever going to find out there.
0: Well, I appreciate you joining me. This has been a great episode, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I didn't, you know, the, the intersection of the, you know, recovery with the, with the uh, um, libertarian stuff is fascinating. And I think one that, you know, is kind of a, something that's not mentioned much is, and, and I think you articulated it very well, is how less government is better for people who need help. For sure.
1: And I like um, the adage, you know, or the, you know, I used to chair the Sober Caucus, the Libertarian Party, and we had a, we have a shirt that says, uh, the coffee pot at your local 12 step meeting has done more to combat drug addiction than the entire DEA. And so, like, that's, that's the whole crux of it, man. That's the whole thing. Is that the the government is so absolutely ineffective at being able to thwart addiction and substance abuse disorder that they actually have to mandate participation into 12-step fellowships because they're openly admitting to you, to me, to all of us that they don't have a solution. Do you like Dr. Drew? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dr. Drew is pretty, pretty great. I also like Russell Brand. I don't know if you check him out or not. But yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, he's great. Very cool. And I don't know that Dr. Drew would call himself a, a, a libertarian at all. I don't think so. I think he's a Republican. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as, you know, he's at least has a, a realistic, helpful, you know, he he is actually, people. I've heard people talk shit about him and it bothers me because I really don't think he's like, yeah, he did the celebrity rehab and he did all that. And I'm sure he made plenty of money. Good for him. But yeah. I actually do think he cares about helping people, and yeah, you know, I'm sure he's not a saint. Nobody is, but I think he's a pretty good guy. And my mom also yeah, is a, is a Democrat, lefty, but she also likes Doctor Joe.
1: Yeah, and I think I think he um, he has an honest approach, you know, to to modern day uh, treatment and kind of recovery. I don't know, man. You you see a lot of people trying to you know turn a profit off of uh, people that are like going through the worst possible time of their life. And that shit irks me like the parasitic nature of the recovery industry is, is a problem. But, um, I don't see drew as a figurehead of that. I actually see him as somebody who's pretty consistent in staying, you know, at least outside of that realm of insanity and being realistic.
0: Do you have many friends now who were your friends during your addiction?
1: Almost none. (laughs) No, almost none. They're, there, whenever that was the thing that I, I had to do was I had to stop hanging around a lot of the people that I was around, you know? Um, now occasionally I'll see one that'll come through a meeting or they get cleaned up and they're living the recover life and we can kind of touch base and catch up and see how each other have done. But really, man, I, I, I don't have a whole lot in the way of, uh, connections that I used to have that when I was back out there, man, A lot of people died. A lot of people went to prison. A lot of people moved away. You know, it's just, it's the way
0: it goes. It's sad. Have you ever watched The Sopranos? Yes. My wife and I are watching that now and we're on season 6 so right about toward the end. And NA meetings is kind of a big part of it right now. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. What do you think? Have you watched it before? You know, I thought I had watched it all back in the day. I thought. Yeah, but apparently not, or at least I wasn't paying attention or something because I'm redoing it all now. But I think it's such a great fucking show. I'm my wife. It's so her. Good. It's her first time watching it. We're loving it. Hell yeah, man! Yeah, it's a great show. Great show. You think Tony Soprano is a good good father?
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't know about. I think he's probably doing the best that he can with what he had. You know, he he was he, born he, into it. Yeah, he was born into a certain type of lifestyle and. uh You know, um, it is what it is, but I I think, and that's kind of something I picked up in recoveries. Like there was a lot of people that I used to hold a grudge towards, you know, especially like my own family and, um, come to find out, man, it it really wasn't, they were just doing the best that they could, you know, they were doing the best they could. They didn't know how to, how to do anything different. So as far as that goes, I think Tony was doing the best that he could.
0: Okay. He was definitely present for sure. He was present little bit of an asshole, a little bit of an asshole, arguably maybe put his family into some danger, you know,
1: (laughs) just, just a little, you know,
0: (laughs) for sure. Good stuff. Well, Drew, I really appreciate you joining me today before we wrap up the episode, what type of social media plugs, uh, you tell us about your podcast, what organizations, if someone's listening and they're like, that's cool as shit. I want to support this. I want to learn more about that. I I care about, you know, everybody has a a family member or a friend who was impacted by addiction recovery. What are your closing words of wisdom?
1: Uh, I would say first off and foremost, if you're listening to this and you've been struggling with addiction and you're looking for a sign to get clean, this is it. This is it. Don't wait for the fucking holidays. Don't wait for your birthday. Don't wait till January 1st. Now is the time for you to be able to get clean. And if you need some help in that process, you need to know what to do. Hit me up at Twitter at LibertyDrew84. That's my personal account. I have my DMs open. I will gladly talk to you no matter what. Uh, Beyond that, if you really like harm reduction and want to see kind of what we're doing in Oklahoma City, you can follow at OHWOKC on Twitter or Out of Harm's Way OKC on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, And when it comes to the podcast, I'm not really making a whole lot of uh, content anymore. It's been a minute, but um, I've got a lot of really great conversations, everything from uh, Dr. Carl Hart. I had Spike Cohen on to share his story of recovery. Um, I've had a lot of really great guests on, but it's a Clean Libertarian podcast. It's on YouTube and Spotify. And so, yeah, just uh, just check it out.
0: I love it. Well, Drew, thank you very much for your time. I hope to chat with you again in the future. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Kelly Patrick show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.